0: Welcome to the Mosh Zone episode 57, week 57, volume 57, number 57. How on going guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. So this week's guest is Riley from Power Trip and that will be coming up later in the show. So let's start things off with a little bit of housekeeping, a little bit of feedback and a little bit of questions for this week. First things first, it seems like last week's show got a lot of attention. Thank you to everyone that tuned in. Thank you to everyone that shared it. Thank you to Frankie of Amua for also sharing it and being on the show. Got a lot of attention, got a lot of listens, and that was amazing. That kind of stuff is what helps us build the show. It was the first time the show had charted. On iTunes podcasting in several countries now that doesn't sound like it means a lot but what it can possibly mean is more listens and possibly some more guests will be aware of the show when we do try and get them on it we charted on the Australian charts at number 81 we charted on the Swedish charts at number 34 and we also charted on the American charts at 126 that was really good, that's amazing for us because we're a little bit of an underground, independent style podcast and to be able to get that kind of thing going off an episode was really good. So let's keep the momentum going as we push forward, we try and really grow this show and grow this Mosh Zone community. Feedback wise this week was all regarding the Frankie of a Muir show, everyone saying how much they loved it. People saying how great the show was, how great it was having him on. And that's what I like to hear, guys. I like to hear that you're enjoying the content we're putting out and you're enjoying the guests we're having on the show. We've also had some more ideas for some guests, so we're in the process of trying to get them. Also, I should mention, if there's a guest you think would really be good on The Mosh Zone and you'd like to hear... Not only let us know, but let that artist know as well. Comment on a post of theirs and mention the Mosh Zone and tag the Mosh Zone. Help us grow this show, guys. Your contributions don't go unnoticed and are invaluable. Questions this week, there were none, unfortunately. So that leads me to this part of the show where I need to remind you guys and need to ask you guys... We really would appreciate and love to make this show not only about us but about you. So to do that, write into us, send us an email, send us a message on social media, get in touch and let's grow this show more into a community. So that means if you've got some feedback about shows or about guests or about content, get in touch. If you've got questions you want answered on air, get in touch. Whatever you want to do, you can get in touch through the email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. You can get in touch through the social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are at themoshzone, or you can get in touch through the website, which is www.themoshzone.com. The other thing we need to mention at the start of the show is ratings, reviews, and recommendations. They're invaluable to helping the show grow. Now, we don't get paid for ratings and reviews and recommendations, but what it does is it works together to get our show out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments today or this week, not only spread the word with your friends and family about the show, but get on your service that might be iTunes, it might be Spotify, it might be SoundCloud, wherever it is, subscribe to it. Leave us a rating, one to five, whatever it is, and then leave us a review. Tell us how good we are, tell us how much we suck, whatever it is, write us a review. Now, recommendations, they're done through Facebook. If you go on our Facebook page, you will see a spot there that says, would you recommend this page? Simply, if you've got a moment this week, write a recommendation and give us a rating out of five as well. All of this, guys, is invaluable to helping us grow and become a bigger and better podcast. So enough of my jibber-jabber and my rambling. Let's get on to the part of the show that we're all tuned in for this week. This week's guest is Riley of Power Trip, an absolute legend, an absolute dude, and what a boss conversation we achieved. It was a great insight into the man himself, but also the band. And i got to say, thank you, Riley, for giving some of your time for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. You're a fucking dude, man. Thank you again. That chat with Riley is coming up now. Do you remember the band or the artist that kind of helped you discover music was a thing? Not necessarily a heavy band, but like music was you know, brought to your attention by
1: an artist? Hmm. That's a good question. I probably have to say it was like rancid or something like that. Wow. It's probably, yeah, I'd probably say it was something like rancid. I had a, uh, I have, I had a, Oh, I still have him. He's alive, but I have a, a, a cousin who grew up in Southern California and he was into like, you know, motocross and skating and all that stuff. So he was into a lot of the, like, uh, the you know skate punk adjacent stuff that was going on in the 90s so he was kind of like the first person to show me stuff like like i said rancid and and strung out and hot water music like a lot of the epitaph and fat records bands so that was probably my real jump off into like falling in love with music and actually um you know trying to like find new music as much as i could that was what really set me off down the path you know like i had bought cds and stuff as a kid but nothing that i didn't didn't really have like a favorite band but i would say you know around 13 or 14 was when i first started hearing punk music and that was when i really got into it got what, into everything else or whatever
0: what about the skate punk kind of drew you in was it the, well, the speed the intensity would, go ahead yeah, was it was it the attitude, the intensity, the rebellion side? What what brought you in and of that?
1: I don't know. I guess I just thought that my my cousin was kind of a cool guy, which is really funny because I think he's a fucking dickhead now. Um, <laughs> but uh, I know he'll never hear this, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know. I, I guess it was it was. Yeah, I guess it was sort of like a, a rebellion thing, and, and and it's still really catchy and accessible music. A lot of it's still pretty poppy, you know. As crazy as the rancid guys look, you know, they had their videos on MTV, and you could, you know, hear their stuff on the radio over here sometimes. And uh, I think it, a lot of it was kind of like me kicking back because I just didn't really like new metal at all. Yeah, I really didn't okay. like. I didn't like like. I I didn't really like you know it, it was just something that didn't really click with me so when i got introduced like there's this whole kind of other sound that is i guess aggressive but without being over the top because i wasn't like a overly tortured kid or anything so shit like corn and slipknot never appealed to me, um, really. So, yeah, I don't know, because I, I always fucking sucked at skating. I was never good at skating. Let's it, let's make that very clear that um, it was more so the music than than any other kind of activities, I guess.
0: And um, so you were what, 13, 14. So did you start, you know, at high school associating yourself as a punk kid? Were you an alternative kid? Well,
1: there wasn't really that going on in my high school I went to an all uh an all-boy Catholic school out here and um they really you know hammer home kind of a brotherhood thing and I know that sounds corny but like there wasn't a lot of like a, a lot of cliques in my school and not a lot of um you know it, it was nice I had a really nice high school experience where everyone was pretty accepting so I never felt like an outcast because I'd to listen- to punk or anything like that. But, you know, it's really funny. I remember one day I must've been listening to, to, I was listening to bad religion on a free period. And a guy asked me, you know, and I was a freshman. He was like, what are you listening to? And I said, bad religion. And he was like, Oh, fucking devil music. And he was, you know, throwing up the horns and be like, and I was like, dude, if you're, this guy sounds like he sings at at the fucking opera. Like, you know, like (laughs) I, I wasn't, listening to Slayer or anything that crazy. So I guess like maybe some of the kids had this idea that I listened to some crazy music. Cause you know, a lot of, a lot of my friends in high school that I at least hung out with were, you know, not like burnouts or anything, but they like like fucking jam bands and like some classic rock, which like I kicked back against really hard just cause I liked punk music. So it's kind of funny cause you know, like, There's a lot of classic rock I really love now, like Thin Lizzy and UFO are probably two of my favorite bands of all time. But I didn't even start getting into them until shit, like until I got to college, like 18 to 20. But um, yeah, I, I never took much shit for what I was into at school. I never really felt outcasted because of it. But there were like four or five other guys At the school that, you know, we're kind of into the shit and and we would go to shows and I had an English teacher who was really cool. Uh, He was listened to everything, but, you know, he knew what like hardcore and punk was and minor threat and stuff. And he teaches out in Portland now and comes to our shows, which is really cool uh, to have that circle back around I guess you know
0: so was music in the household for you growing up like did anyone else play instruments you know how was the environment with
1: music for you was it always around um no there's not a single musical bone in my my family um and uh you know it was like if I wanted to do I I I never played anything so it was all just garage bands with with me singing so yeah, I, you know, I, I never really pursued music as a dream per se, you know, fast forward a bit when I started power trip, all I wanted to do was a band that was decent enough to maybe get invited abroad, you know, like to, to Europe or Australia or Japan. And, uh, that's what we did. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, you know, if the band ended tomorrow, mission accomplished,
0: Yeah. I guess.
1: That's... So like. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I, I I never saw it going this way. Um, I always considered myself more of like an English literary guy. I thought I'd probably end up teaching if you asked me what I was going to do in high school. But here we are. So no, no musical history to speak of.
0: So why, you know, you said didn't pick up an instrument, but why vocals? Did you think at any stage, you know, maybe I could do the drums, maybe I could do guitar, or is it always I want to be the guy in the front?
1: No, because when I started a band, you know, I've always thought, oh man, it'd be fun to learn drums. I always, like when I was a kid, I always wanted to play the drums or the saxophone for, I love saxophone for some reason. Anything with good horn sections, I'm really into. Um, But like, that shit's expensive and my my parents didn't have money for that. And so when I got to high school, you know, I I couldn't afford that kind of stuff. So I wanted to start a band and I, I just searched for people who already, we're playing instruments, and then, you know, did, you know, first couple local bands that didn't do shit, but, you know, we had fun live, and, and you know, I I felt like I had, a, I guess, a knack for being a front man, so I just kept going with it, and, you know, like, I think I suck, <laughs> let's be clear, I think I suck as a vocalist, but... Uh, people say otherwise so I'm just rolling with it so I
0: mean who were your early influences and inspirations that you were aiming to you know sound like or be like as a frontman
1: I never wanted to sound like anybody uh but I loved like you know all the great frontmen over time Freddie Mercury and fucking Bon Scott and James Brown and and man like I just I just loved a good front man and I never really wanted to mimic anybody um vocal wise I just wanted the sounds that came out of my mouth to make me happy or to be content with what I was doing and it took a long time to get there I still think I have a lot of work I again I don't think I'm a good vocalist to speak but if I had any like metal Influences there's really only two and it's it's Paul bailoff from Exodus and um John tardy from obituary i think if if there's any guys that I sort of nod to that sounded right wrote good lyrics looked cool on stage had the attitude had the ethics I think it's probably those two guys
0: now musically you know you obviously started with punk but where was the band that kind of transitioned you into something that was a bit heavier um a bit darker maybe a bit thrashier who was the band that really brought you into that kind of music
1: i, I don't think there's a band in particular It's actually more like a social climate i mean you you grow up listening to to you know punk music that just talks about social unrest all the time then you're kind of gonna go pick up on that you know yeah. i sa- like sonically our earlier material sure is just a, a little bit cleaner, maybe, you know, more hardcore, brighter, whatever you want to describe it. But like, um, it just, as things get shittier, our music just keeps getting darker because that's the way I see the world. You know, like Mm. it might've been way easier in the eighties to write more careful free lyrics about goofy stuff, I guess, or, you know, tell Ronald Reagan to go fuck himself or whatever. I, I, it's just not, I, yeah, I, I, there's not like anything musically that I think there's no band for power trip where we sit there and say, this is the, this is the band that, that is why we exist. Mm. Actually, no, that's, that's false. There's one band and it's a band from Texas called iron age. And, um, it's more so of like a, a brotherly influence. All the members were a couple years older than us. They were doing a, a crossover style sound. So, you know, they showed us a lot of bands that, um, you know, we've grown to love, but we never, you know, said, let's start a band that sounds like Iron Age or mm-hmm. something like that. Uh, we've always I mean, every fucking band says this, but we wanted to blaze our own path. So uh, we, we put a lot of effort in into doing that.
0: Well, I mean, I think anyone that hears the discography can tell that as well because when you guys kind of created or started was around 2008, if I'm if I'm correct yep. in thinking. And, yeah, 2000. yeah, you know, yeah. 2008. There's always been those crossover bands through history, but the climate at the time, there wasn't a lot of new bands popping up with that sound. With you guys, I mean, I've read in the past and I know that You've all got different musical styles. So was it literally whatever sound came out was what came out? Or did you kind of go, let's focus on trying to have a punky bit here. Let's do a quick bit here. What was it like at the initial stages?
1: Um, It was in the initial stages. It was taking Blake's riffs and trying to come up with songs and tempos that that fit that riff style. I think, you know, he goes, a long way and takes a lot of time just to, to to have sort of developed I guess his own riffing style or mm. or or whatever. You know, he wants to be known as kind of a, a unique songwriter if you hear a a Blake riff, you know, you he wants you to know that it's a Blake riff. Um, which is funny because, you know, when the second album, when Nightmare Logic came out, we were getting a lot of comparisons to Ministry, and I can say, without a doubt, blake had never listened to ministry before so for that kind of comparison to come around was cool because then it showed that like he was on the right track they're a really successful band and and he was writing good riffs and they were getting compared but you know those conclusions they arrived at sort of a similar sound completely separately if Mm. that makes any sense Mm. so so for us it's it's you know, we never sit down and say, "Okay, we need to do a punk song." Okay, we need to do a a mid tempo song. It, it what it essentially comes down to is is here's the riff. What sounds you know best with it? Is this a hook, a verse, a chorus? You know, um, or do I have like a a, a hook idea? You know, uh, Executioner's Tax. I had the idea for that song from before we recorded our before we recorded Manifest Decimation and. uh you know, none of the songs fit. It just wasn't right. So when Blake brought in the idea for what became Executioner's Tax, the riffs, you know, I was like, that's the song. That's the one that has the flow and the vibe that I want to use this idea for. So it's all, you know, you're kind of influenced by everything you are and you're influenced by everything that you're not. So, you know, if we write a, you know, we've had riffs that, sounded cool in a practice space and then when we get into the studio they sound like too metalcore or just something that doesn't sound like what we want to do so we scrap it so there is a lot of effort to uh um not write anything that sounds like somebody else i mean obviously we have influences and stuff like that but you know i'm pretty proud to say i don't think you can put up our record you know, put up Nightmare Logic and pull up another record and say these things sound fucking identical. Yeah, you can You know, and I think that's a big achievement for us. Now,
0: looking at the early stages of the band, there was Armageddon Blues EP, then you guys did the self-titled EP. Um, What was it like at that time? Because you were saying that, you know, you kind of, you weren't sure music was the thing you wanted, so was it kind of... Just seeing as it goes, you know, were you getting some attention locally? What was the reaction? What was the early few years
1: like? They were tumultuous. We, you know, when uh, uh, Blake and I started the band, I was 22 and he was 16. The only reason I even went to his house to check out his, his riffs was because his parents lived in the same neighborhood that my parents lived in. So I went over there when I was home from college to see what he had and it was really good. And we started the band, but I was really apprehensive because I thought this kid's so fucking young. Like, how am I going to be able to tour? How am I going to do it? You know, even if the band's really good, what are we going to do, um, outside locally? But I guess I also didn't care because I didn't think the band was going to become a full-time thing. Uh, so, you know, we went through a couple drummers. Um, you know, we had a good friend of mine, Marcus, still a friend of the band, uh, Play drums on the Armageddon Blue stuff, and then we brought in Chris Ulsh uh, around the time of the seven inch, who is our drummer to this day. So, you know, we're four fifths of original members, and Chris has been the longest standing drummer we've had, which is really cool. Um, so things have just slowly solidified. It was like we did we did the the seven inch on Lockin Out, which is a label I've always wanted to work with. Gre- Greg Wilmot is a a good friend and and mentor to me. So that was a big, that was a big accomplishment for me. Um, and then we started getting offers for Europe. So that was sort of this thing where I was like, all right, this is kind of coming true. Maybe we're decent enough to do something about that. Southern Lord heard the seven inch loved it, started talking to us. And then, you know, we signed with them and it's kind of just snowballed from there. Um, if I had to kind of, Pick a moment that was sort of like a a big break for us, where I really said, uh, you know, this is something I can do full time. I don't need to worry about work as much, or or at least, you know, I I I maybe I can take a shot at this. I would probably say it didn't come until 2016 when we did when we did the tour with Lamb of God, Anthrax, and Deaf Heaven. It mm-hmm. was a full U.S. tour, and that was the first time where. Um, we got put in a room with people who had no fucking idea who we were. Um, you know, they, uh, uh, you know, for a lot of them, lamb of God, you know, kind of filled their quota on heavy bands. You know, they might like Volbeat lamb of God and hate breed. And those are the three heavy bands people like, or something like that. So it was really great. What, what, what it proved was is if you put us in a room with people who like heavy music, have any appreciation for heavy music, they'll leave, and the worst thing that they'll say is that band didn't suck. Mm, mm. You know, like, like that we'll either leave with new fans and, and do really well, which is what we did on that tour. And then, it, you know, if you're not into it, we, we we don't hear a lot of people saying that we straight up fucking suck, which is cool. I'm into that. I like that. <laughs> you know, that's a positive so, to take away. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you think about that's so rare these days everyone is so fucking opinionated and of course there's people out there who say that but you know um to not see it very often when you know i see other friends bands getting dragged all the time it's it's a cool feeling and it makes me think that we are doing something right and that we're you know we're playing what we want to play because it's all the stuff that we love about heavy music and if we can distill that into something that works which has worked so far then yeah you know why not why 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 not have the lamb of god fan like us why not have the trivium fan like us you know Uh, and then you can even go the other extreme why not have the napalm death fan or the death heaven fan like us you know it's 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 just, I don't know. I lost my train of thought there, but it's just, it's, we're just trying to make music for people who like heavy music. And I think we're doing a pretty good job so far.
0: Oh, I, I think, I think you can see that over the time, the, the momentum has built as well because, you know, I've got both of them here. You know, manifest, um, felt like you guys were still kind of underground no one really knew about you but you were creating a stir in the scene and then did it surprise you i mean i think it would have surprised anyone really in a band but the way nightmare just it felt like it blew up um everyone and anyone was saying if you haven't heard them you need to get onto them it's power trip um people like you know if you like some hardcore get into it if you like thrash get into it if you like you know punky stuff get into it if you like death metal stuff get into it what was that like you know suddenly you're becoming a bit of a name in a way in in the scene
1: i I, uh until that album so so like you said, we've been a band for ten years and mm. and it's it's been grounding because everything we've gained we've earned. Nothing's fallen in our lap. We're not some fucking industry plant band that, you know, has a a, a fucking contract before they ever play a show because mm. let's be real, those bands are still out there. Yeah. And they're happening all the time and they fucking fool people and it's disgusting. We we have been touring relentlessly for nearly eight years and the last four or five has been, you know, nine months away from home every year, maybe longer. And so those things that we've been earning, they feel deserved because, you know, 10 years of work, we would hope something pays off on that level or I would just go get another job that, you know, I could live off of. I I, mm-hmm. I could scale the touring back and do something else. But, you know, the big, you know, it felt like, with manifest it felt like we lit a fuse Mm -hmm. you know it's it it, you know people started to hear about us and people started talking saying oh this is a band that could blow up right and and over the four years we between the albums we toured and we toured and and that fuse got shorter because we kept you know grinding it out and then when the album came out the bomb went off and it 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 felt good. We knew when that album was in the can that we had done the album that we wanted to do. And so it was up to the rest of the world to decide that they like it or not. And overwhelmingly, people liked it. And, you know, we had to get out there and play it for, for a lot of people. Like, do not be mistaken. We're not a streaming powerhouse or anything like that. Those that success and those record sales came from us being on the road and and playing a lot of fucking shows do you think
0: that's something that is kind of you know some bands say they tour a lot but some bands aren't willing to put in that grind for as long you know they're willing to tour maybe for a couple of years and then if they don't garner the success they want they scale it back but you guys have been doing it for so long and kind of pushing you know one year you're doing x amount of shows next year it's a a little bit more and you keep building and building is that something that i don't think a lot of bands know how to do anymore
1: no and what they'll do is they'll start off really they'll start off just touring their asses off but they'll get burnt out and Mm. by year five or something they're they're done like i said we we built it up very slowly um you know driving out for a week and doing a good opportunity at a small hardcore festival and then waiting around. and You know, you know, we never... A perfect example, the Australian tour. Mm. Plenty of US bands, Australia and Japan, plenty of bands in the US have started within the last five years, and they go straight to Australia in a year or two, something like that. You know, it's not insanely difficult to get over there, but when you get over there, it still kind of feels like you're grinding in the States. You're not playing... You know, you don't have a fan base built in. We waited 10 years to come over there. So when we went over there, almost every show was sold out. And it was great because we weren't forcing ourselves on it on anybody. It was this. This is right. People wanted this. People wanted us to come. And it wasn't a waste of our time. It wasn't a waste of their time. It was it was the fucking opposite. It was amazing. So, you know, I think there's a there's there's touring hard. There's touring smart and there's right in between. And Mm -hmm. I think that's what we do. I think we straddle the line between touring smart and touring hard because there's bands that aren't full-time that tour smart. And then there's bands that are full-time and tour way too hard and way too much. And I think it does hurt them. So I think the fact that, you know, the only reason we've – a big part of the reason that we've been on tour so much is because we keep getting these offers that are really hard to turn down, (laughs) which is cool. You know, like after the, after the, uh, uh, U S run and the European, we did seven weeks in Europe. We did seven weeks in the U S then we did the three weeks between Japan and Australia. we were ready to call it done for a year. And then Danzig came knocking around asking for a two week (laughs) tour. And it's like, how the fuck do you say no to Danzig? You know? So (laughs) there we were. And it was cool because, uh, Danzig's crowd had not heard of us and they loved Mm. us we had a lot of people saying we stole the show or you know we had a lot of our fans come out saying they just came to see us because they had seen us on tour with Cannibal Corpse or they'd seen us on tour with Obituary um so it was awesome you know like like having that kind of level of demand and being able to pick and choose what we want to do or even you know when we go on tour headlining ourselves being able to to choose the bands that we want to take and have them excited to come with us, you know, not really having to stretch ourselves thin and beg bands that we really want. You know, it it just, everything happens very organically with this band and I'm really proud of that. Uh, always have been. And it's, it's, it's a hard thing to explain. It's not, you know, you wake up every day and have a routine and you know what to do for your band. It's just, you know, following your gut and making the right decisions when they come along to you.
0: Yeah, and I think the Australian tour you guys did was a perfect example that I think a lot of American bands down in Australia need to learn from. What we tend to see down here is bands will hold off, but the reason they hold off is not like you guys to you know build your um, catalogue and build up what the band is. A lot of them are waiting to come down here because they want to get on a tour with a bigger band. So they're not willing to come down here. But if they do come down here, they're also expecting to sell out big cap spaces. Like they aim to achieve something in Australia that not even big bands here can do. So your tour was very well done because don't go and try and sell out a 3,000 people venue. You know, Aim around the 500 to 1,000 because then you can sell them out. Then you can get the fans hungry for it um you don't push too far on your first tour
1: no i i I don't think you should anywhere you know it there's very few places in the world now where you know people are just going to come out and see a band because it says they're from america abroad Mm -hmm. anyway you Mm -hmm. know uh, bands do go over there with the misconception of we're a hardcore band from america people will come see that because that's where hardcore came from. And it's like, that's not how it fucking works. There's the, the, there's so many bands out there and, and let's be clear. We didn't wait. We didn't exactly wait 10 years to go to Australia. It took about that long to get invited Ooh, and we, sorry. went, <laughs> which is fine. We know that's usually how it works. Um, you know, we waited to be invited. We waited to be invited to Japan and Australia and the timing was perfect. Whoever, you know, Graham, And, uh, you know, Grammit Resist over Mm -hmm. there and and Tadashi, who who helped us out in Japan, they asked at the perfect time because they knew the demand was there. So it worked out in our favor. Um, And the best part about it was, is we went over there entirely anticipating for it to be a vacation. You know, most Mm -hmm. bands go over there, like I said, and when you only have 100 people go to the show and the airfare is so expensive, you're, you know, you're ending up paying for it. It ends up being a a vacation. We were lucky enough to actually come back and make a little bit of money, Mm. which, uh, you know, when I talk to other friends and bands who have toured Australia, they're like, what the fuck? You know, like, they're pretty (laughs) impressed by that. So, cool. You know, I'll I'll take it.
0: Um, Now, one thing you guys did recently was you did the Opening Fire compilation. Um, Is that a sign of that you're kind of ending the cycle with nightmare logic and you're going to start doing some new stuff. I know opening fire was more, you know, flashback stuff, but
1: yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's, 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 you know, like a, it's a, a little palate cleanser kind of, uh, uh, you know, intermission sort of thing. We, we repackaged all of our old stuff for people who haven't you know heard it. Cause we've picked up a lot of new fans in the last two years who maybe weren't familiar with, those albums and maybe they like some of the stuff if they don't that's fine too but you know um we're certainly not going to wait another four years to write a record you know we're already working on it right now but i you know we didn't see any reason not to put something out to hold people over or at least people who didn't know this stuff existed yet so yeah and and you know we've put them out in different formats and stuff like that but Um, it's nice having it in a really cool package that, you know, you can walk into a record store and buy because, you know, dark operative is a really great label with really good distro and Brent's a good friend of ours, which is why we, you know, agreed to do it with him. I don't think that we would have done it with another label. I think, uh, Brent had the right idea, the right timing and, you know, he had the financing to help us out. So we did it and it's sold pretty well so that's cool i i'm glad people like the old stuff you know some people like the old stuff more than they like the new stuff which there's always going to be those people mm. but yeah that's fine with me i'll i'll take it
0: um that leads me to an interesting question about today's you know climate you know you mentioned before you're not streaming kings um with the current climate being a band um a lot of it for a band like yourselves is down to how you package vinyl, um, how you throw in a t-shirt with a pre-order. Do you see the current climate of being a band that the power is in your hands or do you think it's still a learning curve because that, you know, record sales aren't the make or break anymore, unfortunately?
1: No, we figured it out. And we know that, you know, our bread and butter is, is, basically merch sales on the road we're traveling t-shirt salesmen and the set is our pitch so uh you know the crazy thing is we've never done a really wild vinyl release most of our layouts and everything are are pretty pretty cheap and and we still sell a lot of a lot of vinyl which is really cool because that means people who are still interested in buying music are like i gotta have this record or i gotta have you know and i think that's that's awesome. Um, it's it's actually been really hard for us sometimes to keep vinyl in stock on the road, which is a good problem to have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the J- the Japan tour, we sold out of everything the first night in Tokyo. So for the next three shows, we didn't even have any merch to sell, which was like great. But then also, you know, that's more money we could have made. Um, but you know, I, I and, and we keep going back to money in a lot of these situations and it's not all about money. I don't want to be a fucking millionaire and I don't want to have a mansion in Hollywood or any fucking shit like that. You know, I just want to be able to live happily and easily while I'm on and off the road. And I don't think that that's asking for too much, especially when I don't give a shit if people steal our music. So let's be clear about that. I don't. I, I don't care if you buy a record, I don't care if you download it off of Soul Seek or whatever people use these days. Um, you know, I don't care if you stream it on Spotify and I get seven tenths of a cent to split between the rest of the band. That's okay with me, but you know, the fans just need to support the artist, all artists, with their money in some form or fashion, so that they can stay sane enough to keep touring and playing and writing good records. And I think, you know, and, and I'm guilty of it too. I think, you know, musicians do get, you know, people of music get spoiled. It's, it's crazy to think that, you know, Lars was kind of right. It is, it is actually, it (laughs) is. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, maybe you don't, maybe you don't as a guy from a band, but you know, as a guy with a podcast, you know, I'm it, sure you want this to get good enough to where maybe you can generate some revenue. You're putting a lot of hard work into this. Well, you're doing uh, it for fun, right? I mean, we're all doing exactly. It for
0: fun. Like I do this for my, a, for my for my love and passion. Along,
1: you know, it, it, you're going to work harder to make your fans happy, wouldn't you? If you were making money off of your podcast, so with that in mind, you know, for the longest time we did this for so much fun. But if our audience is going to demand us to be on tour seven to nine months out of the year, we have to survive somehow, Mm. you know, I, I, I'm 32. Should I be denied the ability to buy a house because I have some sort of like punk morals, (laughs) you know, I, I, I don't, I don't, Mm. it's, it's weird. It's, it's, it's a, it's a weird world to live in because I never expected this to be my source of income, to be my full-time job. So, um, it's one of those things where we're really happy about it for now, but like I said, if it ends tomorrow, I, I can do something else. I'm a capable person, you know. Mm-hmm. I that, de- my friend, my friend, you know, he he always makes the joke, you know. Well, you never put all your eggs in one basket, but you definitely don't want to put all your eggs in one basket and then hurl it off a cliff.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: and that's kind of what doing a band is full time. Is is putting you know you're putting your whole life on hold people are putting their relationships on hold they're putting you know building a a life on hold to do this to grind it out and 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 one false move could send that basket right over the cliff so you just got to be smart about it
0: well it, and, and
1: and you need to you know you can't hit up artists and be like god oh, we need money give me money you know so it
0: it's yeah. it, it's part of the reality that i think Some people know is that, you know, apart from all the time and relationships and things like you said that you sacrifice, it is also the financial strain because, you know, whether people want to admit it or not, it is an art form. Um, Yes, it is. You're doing it because you want to. But if you're committing so much time and energy into it, of course, you still want to in some way be able to live your life outside of that and also to still be touring. Because right, you can't you can't just tour for nothing. Um, it, it takes money to tour. Um, you
1: can if you're under 25, but yeah, well, yeah, well, well. as long as you want. But right, I get your point.
0: And I think maybe it's unfortunately maybe the new generation that doesn't realize that buying you know merchandise and buying CDs is essential. Um, it's a weird climate, and like you said, I think Lars, ironically, I still remember being 16 or 17 in high school when he made that whole thing. Um, I thought he was an asshole. I thought he was too, but then
1: yeah.
0: I, I still buy CDs. I'm one of those people think I'm an idiot. I still buy CDs. I buy vinyl when I can.
1: Our guitar player loves collecting CDs. I'm
0: the same. Huge <laughs> CD collection. I've got just short of 3,000 of them it's just He's
1: probably got something close to that too. Yeah. Yeah. And he loves buying CD singles, which I'm like, what the fuck? Wow. Dude? Okay.
0: Can you still buy CD yeah. singles?
1: Yeah. he will go through dollar bit. Blake will go through dollar bins and find like, you know, crazy guided by voices singles or like <laughs> the Sundays or some shit like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do the lemon heads, stuff like that. But you with... know, what? I want to, I, I want to hold on before we get to yeah. the next thing I want you, you brought up one interesting thing about art is it's, It's funny, you know, is is a lot of times it's tricky because, you know, part of the theory about art as a commodity for sale is, you know, the the consumer is supposed to decide how much art is worth, Mm. you know, and that's tricky when you get to the point where you're saying, well, gas is expensive. So we need to start making shirts twenty dollars or, you know, I see bands selling vinyl, you know, LPs on tour for thirty dollars now. And, you know, it I I can kind of sympathize with people who don't want to buy that, who don't want to spend that money and would rather stream it. You know, they'd be like, I really like that record, but I don't, I don't know if I want to spend $30 to have it on wax when I can just play it at home whenever I want. So I sort of kind of understand, you know. Uh, which which also adds into, like, you know, secondary marketing, you know, like, you know, selling shit on eBay, flipping stuff, you know, mm. our shirts will go for $100 sometimes, and I don't give a shit. I think that's cool that, like I said, people determine what art and an artist is worth, but it can be a double-edged sword when it comes to music, at least, you know. Yeah. We're not Andy Warhol putting up fucking cans of tomato soup and then, mm. you know, charging a quarter of a million dollars for it or whatever the hell, probably way more, but... You know, um, it's tricky. It is a tricky thing when it comes to actually looking at art as, you know, I guess a capitalist commodity, something we're trying to sell, versus you know just doing it for the love of it. It's a it's it's a weird world we're navigating. It it uh, is
0: also tricky when it when it comes to things of the heavy music game because um, heavy music loves saying it's the underground, loves saying that it's you know doesn't conform and all of this jazz and then.
1: Well, I think you can be a successful band without conforming. I, I'll tell you, I mean, we've turned down plenty of stuff that we don't agree with, but at the same token, it's like, uh, for example, um, our friend works for, what is it? I think, Oh God, he's gonna be so mad if I mess this up. It's either Bethesda or Blizzard. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, they just paid us to put two songs in uh, rage Two, um, mm. a video game. So, so like, stuff like that's great. Cause as far as I understand the company treats all its uh, employees pretty well. The game seems pretty cool. Uh, you know, uh, our friend who set it up is a good friend of ours. So it's like, we're not opposed to doing these commercial things, but you know, we're not going to fucking ha- this is an outrageous example, but it's like, you know, we're not going to sell a song to Exxon mobile <laughs> for a commercial. You know, uh, one of my favorite things that I heard recently is, um, uh, uh, dark operative uh, who did um, Opening Fire, uh, he also does This Will Destroy You. And they had a song spot in a Super Bowl ad um, this year and got paid a lot of money. But one of the conditions to uh, the ad spot was that the CEO had to personally donate a million dollars to a charity of their choice. And I Ooh. thought that was really cool. Because for them, that was kind of a make or break thing. It was like, you can't have our fucking song no matter how much you pay us unless you do something to prove that you're just not like another corporate entity, you know, using us for whatever, you know, like just exploiting us or whatever. So that's sort of the kind of stuff that we're into. If we ever, you know do big festivals or something like that. We try to make sure they're all ages or maybe they're donating a percentage of the sales to charity, something like that. So you, you can be mainstream without, I don't know, selling out, which is mm. the corniest phrase it is, in the it's, world. It's, it's it, a very that selling, at, sell, selling out, selling out, selling out and looking out for yourself is the most punk thing that you can do in 2019. And then, and, and obviously looking out for your people but you know like it's self-preservation is a huge thing and people think that uh a lot of bands don't need to do that 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 everything should be free and they should get all of it you know
0: it's a weird uh, i think i think i remember hearing that phrase sell out i don't think you hear it as much nowadays but i remember it as yeah. I mean, nah, in the
1: not, not out there anymore because no. everybody realizes all their favorite bands have sold out at some point in some way.
0: Well, it's yeah, it's weird now. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's not, not many. No. Um, with the current climate, it, um, this is a question that I've asked a few people is, do you find in a band that people are still consuming an entire album as a piece? Um, One thing I've noticed nowadays because of streaming services and because I think some people's attentions are shorter, do you think maybe staying in people's, you know, vision is harder to do and that if you drop an album, they're not getting all into it. They're only getting into that single. So are we maybe in the current heavy scene need to change the game a bit? Maybe drop singles only, maybe drop three track EPs,
1: you know, do
0: you know what I'm trying
1: to yeah, ask? Yeah. 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 I've noticed that trend. And I mean, you know, we've got a single coming out this year. We did that song Hornets Nest for Adult Swim. So that was sort of our kind of way of doing something similar to that. And uh, yeah, you, you know, people, some bands think, um, let's keep putting out small amount of tracks to keep people, keep, ourselves fresh mm. in people's minds. Right. And you're right. Then you hear a band's LP and it doesn't quite live up to expectations. We're the opposite. We have to make an album that sounds good all the way through. That's why our song, that's why our albums are only like eight songs. Mm-hmm. Cause we, we, you know, we think the sweet spot for, um, how long a full length record should be, should basically be 30 to 40 minutes, 45 like tops, you know, like it, you, and, and every, no filler whatsoever. Like, if you don't fully believe, for us anyway, if we do not fully believe in a song or do, if we don't say to ourselves, every song on this album could be a single, then it's like, what's the point of putting it on there? But you're right. I think a lot of bands don't really try to do, you know, I think bands try their best. I really do. But, you know, I think we really, um, pull our hair out and add, you know, take extra years off of our life to make sure that, um, our albums as a whole flow together. Every song is good. You know, not one stupid riff, not one bad lyric, you know, that's not one bad take. Not one bad fill. I mean, people can express their opinion and say everything that I just said sucks, but in our opinion, we're happy with it. And that's, that's the biggest thing. That's why you don't see us doing EPs anymore. You know, it's, We did Manifest, then we did Nightmare Logic, and yes, we did a collection album of older stuff, and yes, we did one single, but the next thing is a third third LP.
0: Mm. Now, you mentioned lyrics in there. I want to ask you, with lyrics, is it something you find easy to do? Is it something that you struggle with?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Hell no. It is so difficult for me, because I, and any... Songwriter is going to say this. I'm my own worst critic, but I I've got this thing where I can't uh, have a lyric that's basically already existed before. Like if 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 I write something and go, oh wait, some, that's been in another song or something like that. Gotta go. Um, and uh, I I I have this process of writing that I learned in college, which is basically um, my professor called it micro and macro chunking, where you you Start off with, you know, you write a, a sentence or a line of a lyric and you look at each word. And and is each word important or necessary? And then uh, finally you construct that sentence with only the most critical words and pieces of information in it. Then you build the verse and then you have the whole, you know, until you have the whole song. But when you look at it, you know, the first word ties into the entire song just as much as the last word, and the whole song ties into each individual word. So everything that is done, everything that I write or say, has significance or has um, a point that I could expand upon. Or if I choose a certain adjective, there's a there's a reason I said that. Um, so uh, it's it's hard as hell, and 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 when you know you're trying to write about all this misery that you're seeing it can really weigh down on you and uh it's really hard not writing the same thing twice too so you know i don't see us writing a love song (laughs) and i don't you know uh, it it, it's it's difficult it's really really hard to write and i read a lot and i i try to take inspiration from that um but uh yeah it's it's it ain't easy it is not easy and and when you're dealing with lyrics that deal with you know so much turmoil and depression and this sort of fear that you know our modern way of living is drastically going to change it, it really bears down on you um, you know I remember doing Nightmare Logic and feeling really frustrated and depressed not just because I was having trouble writing some of the songs which I did but because um, I had so many emotions and ideas that I was trying to cram into these eight songs. And, and I, I was really happy with my outcome. It was the first, it's Nightmare Logic's the first album of the band where I am happy with my performance and my output on that one. So I'm starting to feel a bit more confident with all that, which is nice. But now that the pressure's on with the third one, I'm scared even more shitless. So
0: we'll see. It's all going to start again.
1: Um... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's already started again.
0: Do you with you know? You mentioned there about what you write about. Um, was that a conscious effort when you you know first started that that's what yeah. you wanted to write from about? From the
1: name, from the from the womb, yeah, from the womb to the tomb. As soon as I came up with the name, I knew it was going to be something that was personal, that sounded kind of personal on the face, but was was political. You know, like uh, the imagery in my songs are, are or the imagery in my lyrics are something that you can you know sort of just yell along mindlessly too but for anyone who wants to like dig deeper uh, there's a lot of stuff to unpack there not to like try and sound like i'm fucking thomas Pynchon or some you know prolific writer or anything but like you know i i i I take a lot of pride in trying to to have meaning in everything that i'm saying and to have something that you know is either just fun to sing to if you want to be that mindless idiot, or has a way deeper meaning if you want to look for it.
0: Yeah, no wonder. No wonder it's it's a bit of a weight and pressure on you.
1: Well, it's why we don't have lyrics about you know breakups, pizza, pizza eating, mutant sharks, and <laughs> bre- breakups, and you know like some outright you know like fuck Donald Trump and you know shit like that. That 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 doesn't interest me at all. You know like. I want to know, you know, what the outer world does to your subconscious, I think is probably a good way of uh, expressing what I'm trying to do with my lyrics is how, how the outside reality affects your inner reality. Yeah. Fuck yeah.
0: Yeah. And it comes across, it's epic. It comes across fucking, I love it. I well, just. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Now kind of the last question before we kind of look to wrap things up is now I know you mentioned earlier about how basically your crossover appeal, you know, you can play in front of an audience and it doesn't really matter what you tend to win them over. But one thing that society likes to do, or especially metal likes to do is they like to throw a label on things. You know, it can't just be heavy music or just can't be music. It's got to be thrash crossover or it's punk crossover or metal crossover. Um, What's your thoughts on being constantly labelled something? Does it laugh make you laugh sometimes? And then the other part of the question is has it ever in some way possibly held you back? As in someone seen what genre you are and gone, nah, fuck that, I don't like that style of music.
1: So so when I get this question, um, which does happen sometimes, and no offense to you at all for asking mm. it. What I like to say is Shh, who fucking cares? <laughs> And we just don't talk about it. Mm. If we just don't talk about it, then the YouTube commenters or whoever wants to on Twitter, they can argue about that shit all fucking day. It doesn't make any difference to us. You know, I, I, I've joked around before that we're just, you know, hardcore thrash punk rock and roll metal because it just encompasses everything. And if you don't like it, you can fuck off. Mm. So, you know, it, for us, it's the least we talk about it the better. And no, the second part of the question, it's never been detrimental to us. The fact that we're just like, this is us, take it or leave it. Don't call it what it is or what it isn't. It's worked in our favor.
0: Now you mentioned earlier your goals kind of at the start of the band were, you know, you wanted to be able to tour places around the world, like Europe, Asia, um, Australia. What are your goals in power trip? this stage of your career 10 years in what are your goals now what's the next what's the next thing you want to achieve
1: man at this point it's just to get off the roller coaster in one piece we're already right you know we're on the ride you know like i i sure i could be a a, if i really didn't like i could quit but you know here we are and 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 you know people know us and and so i don't have any goals You know, like my only goal is to take this as far as it feels right. You know, when 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 it doesn't feel if it feels like at any point we've hit a ceiling or if it feels like, you know, um, we're slowing down, then then I'll I'll curl it back a little. You know, I've got plenty of other stuff I can I can do. And And I think everybody else in the band feels the same way. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with. Saying hey, this is enough. We're only gonna tour a couple months out of the year, or we're only available for fly-ins. You know, I I a, a band I really look up to. Actually, now that I think about it, that I didn't mention earlier is I really fucking look up to Bolt Thrower
0: mm. because
1: they did those once loyal, and they were like, we wrote the best Bolt Thrower album we could have possibly written, and we're never gonna do another album again. And then they did it. They're like, we did it. I would love to do that. I would. I you know like. Would it be nice to to be a multimillionaire, like you know, you know, near billionaires probably or some shit like Metallica and pumping out trash records? Sure, fine. I'll do that. I don't think a lot of people would too, but like if I could just, you know, write the perfect if we could just write the perfect power trip album, whether it's the next one or the fifth one or the tenth one, and just say we did it and then call it a day. And just play shows when we feel like it. That would probably be the best end goal for me. Mm, fuck yeah, man. Um, well, hopefully, no, no tarnished legacies. You know what I'm saying?
0: Yeah, if it, end, end on a high. Don't end on a low. Yeah, you know, don't exactly.
1: Yeah, you know, leave when you, know,
0: you want to leave, not when you're forced to leave. Right. Which is pretty rare nowadays.
1: Well, I, and I don't know. I don't think a lot of bands are forced to leave. A lot of them just overstay their welcome forever and ever. Which we may end up doing, you know, because, uh, uh, you know, Metalhead fans are great like that where if you get them young, they'll come see you every time you come through until they're dead. So I I think that's one great thing about Metal and sort of hopefully the future for Metal is that if we can, you know, the old guard likes us, the new guard likes us. So hopefully that means people will keep coming to see us for the next I don't know however many years, but uh, the next long time and, and we'll see w- where that takes us from there. Yeah.
0: Fuck yeah. Um, last question before we wrap things up is, so do you think we'll have an album this year or maybe more looking 2020?
1: Early 2020. Okay. We're hoping to be in the, we're hoping to be in the studio by August or September.
0: Uh,
1: but, but we are working on songs. So, right. so we're looking for like a, uh, uh, let's see uh the nightmare logic came out in february 20 What was it 17 (laughs) yeah yeah uh yeah like february 2020 i think is what we're all hopefully shooting for so Um, um
0: hopefully it's not another 10 years before you get down here as well
1: uh we tried to come back this year um Maybe that'll still happen. Ooh. Uh but definitely twenty twenty. I mean we want to come back there as soon as everyone would like to have us again. Australia was one of the best experiences we had of all of last year. Easily. Yeah, we'll
0: we'll so, have you back tomorrow. Just get on the plane now. You're right.
1: Uh okay. Send me my flight info. Yeah. No worries. Um First, first class only. <laughs> now I gotta lie down. I can't sleep on those things.
0: Oh, they're horrible. It's and you know, hey, if that's what it takes, we we better start doing a fund me page and we'll get it.
1: Well, here's here's a fun one. When we ended the tour, we so the what it's like the longest commercial flight in the world is like Melbourne to Dallas. I think. Yeah, it's like 15 and a half hours. I think it's the longest, you know, flight a civilian can get on or something. Uh, so we thought, "Hey, great. We're just going to fly that from Melbourne to Dallas." We got to the airport, we found out our flight was Melbourne to Hong Kong, which is 9 hours with an 8-hour layover, and then Hong Kong to Dallas, which is about fifteen hours too I think that's the the third longest commercial flight, so that was cool yeah,
0: that, um, that worked out great
1: uh, yeah, uh let's not do that again Australia please <laughs> please be kinder to our flight schedules, but uh other than that lo- fucking loved it there, man. you guys got a great great country that you can't live in 95% of but that's cool <laughs> yeah
0: yeah and we've also got I think it's something like nine of the top 11 most deadliest creatures something like that
1: yeah but surprisingly mm. not a lot of venomous bugs right it's like animals like mm. you guys don't actually have like a lot of venomous bugs well we do just have just we, of, we do have you do two have some, three spiders but not like crazy no or what you have what
0: two two spiders that are very very dangerous um
1: Okay, because I got a spider bite of some kind when we were staying at the Bendigo in mm-hmm. Melbourne, and my whole left arm was swollen to the point where I thought I wasn't going to be able to play the show because I couldn't grip a microphone. <coughs> Someone tried to tell me it was a mosquito, and I was like, fuck you. There's no way that a mosquito <laughs> did this. Um but it ended up being fine. I think I sweated out the venom or something.
0: Yeah, if it was a truly dangerous one, you would have been dead. I think it's within an hour or something. So,
1: right, right, right. Mm. Yeah. So
0: you survived, You survived. You survived our dangerous um, creatures.
1: Yeah, yeah. I didn't see didn't see anything else too. I I got to see a platypus, which was like that's cool. I love platypus as a kid. I was a big platypus guy, so that was cool getting to see one of those in real life.
0: Where we live, there's nonstop kangaroos and koalas, so we're pretty lucky up here. We went.
1: We went to the sanctuary that everyone goes yeah. to. That's in Brisbane, right? Yeah, it is. That's yeah, the yeah, the lone koala or whatever. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We went. We went there. Man, those things smell like shit, don't they? And they shit in your the, hand the, when the you're koalas? holding them. Yeah. 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 I got lucky. No one shit in. Me. They 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 did not shit in my hand, but it didn't like me. Like they took it away in like two seconds. Like they <laughs> like the photo they took of me is not even in focus because the thing was like... <laughs> and, then, and then they brought in, like, another doped-up koala. And I'm like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Give me the shitty koala, thanks.
0: Give me the one that's in a coma. I'll take a photo of that one. Yeah,
1: or give me what he's having.
0: <laughs> um, All right, dude, so what we do to finish up our chat is... um, I, It's called Pick Your Poison. So what I do here is I give you some options, and you pick your choice of the two. Okay. So... We kind of figure out what you like to eat, what you like to listen to, and um, where you'd like to live kind of thing.
1: Let's go. I'm ready.
0: Would you prefer a pizza or a burger? Burger. Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Oh, Indian takeaway. Uh, Chicken or beef? Chicken. Uh, A beer or a whiskey? A whiskey would you prefer to cook at home or dine out
1: oh god cook at home i fucking hate dining out uh cinema or on the couch uh woo, toss up because i guess on the couch but like nothing beats like a, a good a good cinema experience if the movie and and everything's right i went and saw true romance on 35mm the other week and that was pretty fun um yeah that was good i forgot how not great that movie is.
0: Yeah, I remember I loved it as a kid, and then I saw it probably two years ago, and I was
1: like, "Wasn't
0: really that good." Well,
1: I, I really just want to just I just want to strangle Patricia Arquette and <laughs> Christian Slater until their souls leave their body when I watch that movie. <laughs>
0: but everyone else
1: in the movie is incredible. Yeah, you know, well, um, that was Christian uh, Slater. On his... Gary Oldman is just like the best. You know white gangster character ever even though he's so ridiculous but yeah so I guess my answer is couch probably couch I'm a pretty big homebody uh what about
0: beach or snow beach would you prefer to
1: skateboard or rollerblade uh I'd rather be in a wheelchair (laughs) no I'm kidding no that's terrible no that's so bad uh skateboard
0: skateboard uh a cat or a dog dogs nice um, Terminator or Predator
1: That's a good one Um, Because I'm thinking Predator 1 Versus Terminator 2 mm. I think I got a soft spot for Predator man Good answer Are you talking creature or Are you talking whole film or Like character Film Okay, the whole film, Predator, but the Terminator is a way cooler character because he talks and stuff, you know.
0: Uh, Batman or Superman? God, they're both so whack, but Batman.
1: Uh, I love comics, but I'm not, like, a comic hero guy. What but Batman's, about, pretty, Batman's got some good stories, so I'll say Batman.
0: What about James Bond or Jason Bourne? John Wick. Yay!
1: Nice. Yeah. Now, um... And then you're looking at, you know, there's what, like three Jason Bournes? Like the guy from The Office is Jason Bourne right now, right?
0: Oh, in a TV show, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, and then, uh, and then you know, you've got all the Bonds. But I like Daniel Craig as Bond. I think he was good. But I'm going to go with Wick because that's one man.
0: Yeah, he, that's Boss. Okay, he's, a, he's an old school. Some people know the references. Some people don't. Would you prefer, prefer MacGyver or Walker, Texas Ranger?
1: that's a that's a good one gotta say walker texas ranger because when i grew up uh when when like the teacher was too lazy to teach classes they would throw on walker texas ranger (laughs) or uh uh uh, touched by an angel which i would call touched by a priest and and then get detention for it yeah 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 but uh, you know macgyver uh, macgyver has has some moments but I, i i you know Walker, Texas Ranger,
0: yeah. South Park or
1: Simpsons? The Simpsons, although oh, nice. South Park's pretty good. But
0: um, the Simpsons. A couple of music ones, Slayer or Pantera? Slayer. Um, Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Cannibal Corpse. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth?
1: Oh, Metallica.
0: Um,
1: Mad Ball
0: or Agnostic Front?
1: Oh, shit, that's a good one. Um, Agnostic Front. Because um, there's no mad, there's no mad ball without agnostic front.
0: Ooh. Uh, Motley Crue or Van Halen? Van Halen. Um, Although
1: that would be, that would be a heated debate with the rest of my band. That would be really. Fun yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that would, that would be, I think, I think, I think Van Halen would win, but I think uh, in, a, in a narrow three to three to two.
0: Um, now, last couple, would you prefer to go to a show in the mosh pit or up the back?
1: Oh god um, the, the back I, I'm too old I'm too old To get smacked In the face <laughs> um, Would you I bef- get smacked In the face Enough on stage As it is so. Would you
0: prefer To tour Or record Oh my god
1: <laughs> Both are hell <laughs> um, uh, I guess I guess uh, I guess Tour I, Yeah tour, tour
0: And last one Would you prefer To own an album On CD Vinyl Or on your phone
1: Uh, you know, uh, shit vinyl. If it, you know, my, I have, I don't collect a ton of vinyl, but I collect like my, like essential records. Like these are like my apocalypse albums. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I guess vinyl is probably my favorite format. And if we lose electricity, you know, I can build like a hand crank record player and still listen to music. Right. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Um, Riley,
0: that's us done and dude. No,
1: we're not done because <laughs> what the hell is that Duke jersey you're wearing right now? Is that a JJ Reddick jersey or something?
0: No, when I was 15, I got to go to America. My family live in San Antonio and yeah, it's weird. And the only thing they gave me, and I think it's because one of the kids went to the school, was this. I've had it. So this is like a nineteen. Who's on the back? Nothing, back. just a number.
1: Nothing. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. Considering Dukes in North Carolina, which is like yes. three thousand miles away from yeah. San Antonio. Yeah, it was the... That's cool. What did you What did you do in San Antonio?
0: Um, we pretty much we went to the thing. There's like a like a roller coaster, the Rattlesnake, it's called or something in San Antonio. Oh, you went
1: to Fiesta uh, uh, Six Flags Fiesta Texas. Yeah, we went there. Yeah.
0: Um, went to a Spurs game. Um, did a few things, but we weren't there long because then we went to Chicago and then we went to a couple other places. Oh,
1: okay. I lived so. in Chicago for two years, but that's those are both. That's great. Sounds like you did everything cool that, you, that is to be done in San Antonio. Um, okay, I was gonna bust your balls. Our our our, <laughs> our, 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 our consummate uh, roadie hood is is a huge Duke fan, so he and I talk shit to each other all the time. But if you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'll leave you alone. Yeah. You can you can wear that nice, cute little. Jersey.
0: Oh, that could have ended quite hilariously, though. I feel disappointed. I don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: Hey, you like Duke? Name five players. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. I number
0: one, seven. Um, twenty-two is pretty good.
1: Um, okay. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And five.
1: Well, you know, the best player on their team just like broke his ankle last night because his Nike shoe broke on him. I saw the footage. So people- yeah, yeah, yeah. Zion. Zion messed up. He's out he's out for the season.
0: It's crazy He'll when you see that New shoe. York, Nick. The way that shoe exploded though, I was like, What?
1: Yeah. You like how we're just like weeding out all your listeners by switching from metal to sports now?
0: Yeah, it doesn't bother me. I love that.
1: They're, they're like, No, no, this is the end of the episode. I'm out. <laughs> <anything." laughs>
0: They've already tuned out.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like to take the, the interviews off the rails at some point, you know what I mean? Well, I keep it interesting. Although fun. your questions were very good,
0: oh, I appreciate it, man. Um, I'm I'm thankful for you. I knew a lot of them I'd get because you know I know quite a bit about you. I read about you and listen to. Interviews. Yeah, you did your
1: research. I appreciate that.
0: Um, so I knew what would get, you know, you excited or aggravated in a certain way. Um, <laughs> so it's you know like I intentionally asked about the genre tags because I was like. He's gonna say oh, something here. See, I'm gonna I was like, okay, I'm gonna get a right, certain man. reaction here. Um Yeah. But I, I really appreciate it, man. It was it was great chat. Um and thanks for having the time for me, man. Really appreciate it. Of
1: course. Yeah. Uh what time is it there right
0: now? Uh nine o'clock in the morning.
1: On Saturday. Yeah, we're in the future. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Trippy. (laughs) Uh. Okay, cool, man. This is a lot of fun, man. Thank you so much. Let me know when this goes up. I
0: will, man. I'll hit you up. Legend. Okay. I'll
1: talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Ciao.
0: So that was my chat with Riley of Power Trip and also at the end there you heard their song Executioner's Tax from their most recent album Nightmare Logic. Now guys this is the part of the show where I tell you make sure you support Riley and the boys from Power Trip. Get online, get in stores, get your hands, get your ears into some of that Power Trip discography as you heard in the chat, there is a couple of EPs, there's a couple of albums, and you will not be disappointed. Make sure you support these guys. And next time they tour Australia, make sure you get out and support them again. Thank you again, Riley, you fucking dude. Absolute legend. Look forward to hanging out when you get back to Australia again. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So that's it for the Mosh Zone episode 57. Done. Dusted. All wrapped up in the fucking can, locked away and secured for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners, so... If you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about The Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at the Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is TheMoshZone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pit.